Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It is good to be here. It is good to gather in God's presence. I do thank everybody for wearing, excuse me, their mask today. I know it's difficult. I know it's tough. And I figure that I'm far enough out of the way of the splash zone. I am going to take mine off for the service just simply because I can't see through my glasses with it on. So, um, but please, uh, I do thank everybody for wearing them. I, I know, as I said, I know it's difficult. I'm not trying to make light of the situation. I do understand the difficulty of wearing it, and I appreciate you guys loving your neighbors by wearing your masks and also distancing as well. So thank you very much for that. We are gathered in an, in an odd time, in a difficult time, where we are considering a virus that is uh, seems to be running rampant through our world, and I know there are many different views by doctors and scientists and people in the know and people that think they're in the know of how this is working out and how it's going to work out. And as I mentioned in my email and the post on that Facebook group, the announcement and prayer group, um, none of this is taking God by surprise. God is still sovereign. God is still in control. As R.C. Sproul says, there's no such thing as a maverick molecule. If one piece of an atom could do its own thing without God's control, God does not exist. But God is in control of this. He knows how it's going to work out. He still loves his people. He is still good to his people. And even if we become a victim of this, we are not, uh, we do not lose, as Paul says, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And so please live in the rest, in the peace of knowing that even in these difficult times, our God is still sovereign. Um, Please, if you're not receiving the emails or not a part of the Facebook page and the Facebook group, um, please either speak to me or Michelle to make sure that we get you to plugged into those things, because that's where a lot of our announcements are going to come as we move forward. Um, While we're back to partially gathering, we're not back 100%. We're going to take this in stages and phases. So that means that we're going to try things. If it doesn't work, we may back up a little bit. We may move forward with things as we get new numbers and new direction from um, people who are far smarter about medical things than I am. So please be paying attention to those things. Um, Are there any other announcements? Are there any quick questions? All right, if not, our call to worship, and y'all wave at me if I forget to hit the space, bar, space bar on this thing and advance this, but our call to worship today comes from Psalm 90, uh, portions of that. So hear the word of the Lord. This is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new. By evening it is dry and withered. Who knows the power of your anger, for your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy 
and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we we cry out with Moses. We cry out with the psalmist that you would relent. How long will it be until we can gather together fully again? Experiencing the worship with all of our brothers and sisters. Experiencing Bible study. Experiencing all of the fellowship that we are missing during this time. How long will it be? Have compassion on us. And make us glad when we are able to gather together fully again. Make us glad for as long as you have made us afflicted. Lord, those of us who are here are gathered. Those of us who are gathered electronically are gathered to worship you. Be honored, be glorified by the worship that we give. And restore us to that time when we can worship together completely. But until then, we will pray as you have taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We have opportunity, as I mentioned in the email, um, please just stay seated and sing quietly. We will lead us in singing, uh, Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place. It is hymn number 88. As we read in the psalm, He has been our dwelling place. And it is a place of rest, it is a place of peace. So let us stand and and sing together. Uh, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place. I know I said stay seated, but go ahead and stand up. I think we should stand.
Join with me as we pray our prayer of confession or bow your heads as we pray our prayer of confession. Almighty and powerful God, forgive us for the way that we have neglected and misused the good gifts that you have given to us. We have slept carelessly when we should have been wide awake. We have shunned opportunities to serve you and find sweet fellowship in your presence when we should have faithfully followed your call. We have loved comfort and ease and things of little lasting significance instead of investing our lives in the pursuit of you in your eternal kingdom. We also repent today for all the ways in which we have served you with sinful attitudes, glorying in our own strength and becoming proud of our hard work for you or resenting bitterly the need to put ourselves out for others. Whether we have worked hard or been lazy, our eyes have been fixed only on ourselves. Father, forgive us. Jesus, thank you for your good works during your life here on earth, works that were constantly rooted and grounded in faith. You worked hard for your Father's kingdom, but you also rested, knowing that your Father's will would always be done. You were patient with your confused and selfish disciples, And you continue to show enduring mercy to us. You ultimately laid down your life on the cross so that we might enter the eternal rest that your father has prepared for all those who trust in you. Thank you that those good works in our place enable us to stand forgiven in your presence today. Holy Spirit, stir up our hearts to love and good works. Give us a fervent spirit that delights to pour out our lives in service to you and those around us. Help us to fix our eyes on the glory of your dawning kingdom and increasingly to put off the old works of darkness. Clothe us in your armor of light so that even weak and faint followers like us may stand firm in your power, strengthened by you to run and not be weary, to walk and not faint. Help us to see that your grace alone speaks pardon to our weary souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And hear these words of assurance from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. As I mentioned in the announcements uh, that I sent out to everybody, there are there's an offering plate here and an offering plate by the back door. So please... Uh, place your tithes and offerings there, but before we get there, we should do our scripture reading, which comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. Hear these words. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. 
For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Now is the time when we would typically take up our tithes and offerings. There are offering plates available on the way out, both entrance, both exits, or you may continue to mail them in. Thank you to everyone who has been doing that. And now if uh, we do have some special music.
We wonder sometimes how God is working, what God is doing, but the scriptures remind us that God moves in a mysterious way. Now we have the opportunity by looking at him, number 112, uh, to confess that in song. So let us stand and, and lift our voices and join together in singing hymn number 112, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Jonathan's brother-in-law. 
God that we can be here? Remember the situation in Georgia. Be praying for that. The, the, the Ahmad Aubrey, sorry, his name slipped my mind there for a few moments. Was a young black man in uh, outside of uh, anyway, in a small town in Georgia. He was out for a daily run, and it looks like he was confronted uh, by some armed men simply because of the color of his skin, and he ended up losing his life. So. Uh, and I know there's still a lot of stuff to, to come out about that, but um, the fact that he was confronted just simply because of the color of his skin is something that we need to pray about in our country. And I know many of us don't struggle with that, but many of us in our country do. So please let's be praying about that. Um, the gospel brings reconciliation, and it should to many of us. So please be praying for that situation and also the situation around our country. And continue to pray for this virus. Um, the moderator of our Senate this year still has a call out there for every day at 10 o'clock to be praying that God eradicate this virus and bring us back together as the church so that we can worship. So please continue to pray for that. Any other prayer requests? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for this opportunity to pray. To seek your face, to come before you, bringing our cares, our concerns, our thanksgiving and our joys. Because you are the God who weeps with us when we weep. You are the God who rejoices with us when we rejoice. And we rejoice today because of mothers and women that you have given to us to help us to be raised in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Lord, what a what a holy calling to motherhood, what a holy calling to uh, be a woman in our churches and to uh, sacrifice time and energy so that some so that we may be raised in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And so we thank you for this day to celebrate um, that we thank you for Calvin and Betty. We thank you that Calvin's doing well and that he sends his greetings. Lord, we pray that you continue to strengthen them and continue to protect them in the midst of this difficult time and for all of us who have family members and loved ones in area uh, that might be hot spots or dangerous for this virus, we pray for your continued protection. Thinking specifically today of Daryl and ask that you bring back good results from this test or if he does have this uh, COVID-19 virus, that you bring quick healing to him. Lord, we lift up our country to you today, asking that you uh, eradicate this virus, not only from our country, but from our world or turn our hearts toward you. Help us to examine our own hearts and examine our hearts collectively as your church to see are there areas where we should repent and find your peace. But we desperately ask that you would gather us back together, as the psalmist said that we opened up with how long, O Lord. How much longer before you relent? And may we be joyful for all eternity, definitely, but for at least as many days as we have been afflicted by this virus and the fallout from this virus. We do thank you for the small steps that we have taken to move back toward recons to regathering and worshiping together. But we do ask for uh, a complete ability to gather together again. 
Lord, we pray for our country and just the the many difficulties that we really should be over by now, especially um, people who claim to be Christians. Lord, help us to see other people as created in your image and worthy of the respect and dignity that comes with that, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of their place of origin. All of us need the gospel. All of us stand equal before you as judged for our sin. And all of us need to hear that sweet message of gospel forgiveness. Forgive me, Lord, for those times where I have made judgments based upon only people's appearances. And help me to eradicate some of those uh, some of those tendencies in my own life. So that I might see all humanity as created in the image of God. Lord, as we turn toward your truth, we do ask that you give us your spirit to open our eyes so that we might see the glory that you have for us in your word. And we thank you for the knowledge that you hear us when we pray. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We do proclaim truth today, and we have the opportunity to proclaim truth through the Apostles' Creed. We join with saints who are proclaiming today. We join with saints who have proclaimed in the past, and we join with saints who will proclaim in the future. So church, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Today we are in Proverbs chapter 6, continuing our study in the book of Proverbs. Today we're looking at the the second uh, portion of chapter 6, which runs verses 6 through 11. And last week we considered those first five verses that were a warning from Solomon to his son to protect his long-term future. And so today we are going to look at a warning. He doesn't address it directly to his son, uh, but it's a warning to protect uh, our short-term future, which could also, um, if we don't heed this warning, could lead into problems with our long-term future as well. So read with me as we read from the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Let us pray. 
Our God and Father above, we thank you once again for your word. You have revealed yourself to us in this word. Help us to see your glory today. Help us to see your call upon us to work well, to work for you, and to show your love in our world. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. What is work? Seems like an easy question, seems like a simple question, and I'm sure some of you had some ideas that popped up into your mind when I asked you, what is work? But how you answer that question can and does have great consequences, whether for good or for bad, about how you work, about how you do your work. As I mentioned a few moments ago in the first five chapters, verses of chapter six, excuse me, the first five verses of chapter six, Solomon warned his son against the long term danger of taking on bad debt or becoming bad or becoming security for somebody else's bad debt. Today, we're going to look at Solomon's warning against a practice that has a short term, definite short term danger for the future, but also potential long-term danger to the son's financial status. And as we look at, at this call to guard the future, we will see and, dis, and consider a biblical view of work. We will examine Solomon's call to go to the ant. And we'll hear his warning uh, to the sluggard. First, a biblical view of work. I want it to us to to think about for a few moments, what does the Bible tell us about work? Many people in our culture and and sometimes many people within the church, I know I've had a danger of this. We we view work along two spectrums. On one end of the spectrum, we see we we have people who see work as something to be avoided. Something to be avoided at all costs. At the extreme, you have the person who has absolutely no will to work, no matter what. It's the, it's the busy body rather than the busy person that Paul mentioned in 2 Thessalonians 3. But typically, we don't live out there on the extreme. Most of us don't. But we, we look at work to be avoided in different ways. How many of us only go to work so that we can retire one day? How many of us only give just enough at work not to lose our job, just enough to get by? For many people in our culture, work is merely something to be done to fund a future retirement or or work is something we have to put up with and give the bare minimum so that we can keep our job and pay for our food. And believe me, those things are important benefits that come from work. To use theological terms for this end of the spectrum, we see work as a curse We view God's words to Adam as saying that work is a result of the fall. And since it will be done away with in the new heavens and the new earth, it's not something important enough for us to expend more energy on than necessary. And we'll deal with that thought here in a few moments. On the other end of this spectrum, we see work as something to be embraced or in theological terms to be idolized. All the way out here on the far end of this spectrum is the workaholic. You know him or her. He's always at work. He always has his work with him or her. Work is the paramount thing upon their mind. And there are variances in that as well. All of us are tempted to do this, but do you bring your work home with you? 
even in this time uh, that's different, where many of us are working from home, where we typically would go into an office, there still should be a separation from work life and home life. But do you find yourself sitting at the dinner table thinking, oh, wow, I should do this when I get to the office tomorrow or or, oh, man, I need to do this when I log into the computer. In fact, why don't I just jump on that and go do it now? Does your family take second place to your work, even when you aren't technically on the clock? As I mentioned a moment ago, in theological terms, this person idolizes work. There may be a correct understanding of when God ordained work and the relationship of the curse and the work, but they have turned their work into their God. They're trying to place their work on the throne of their life. Both ends of these spectrums, and I would argue the entire spectrum, is wrong. The, the, the correct place is not somewhere in the middle. The correct place is a, is a complete different idea of work. Work avoidance misses the point that work was ordained prior to Adam's fall into sin and the curse only affected how we work and the products in which we and the products of our work. Adam and Eve were given a work to do in the garden before the serpent ever came to tempt them. In Genesis 1, 26 through 28, Adam and Eve were given the task of being fruitful, of filling the earth, of subduing the earth of exercising dominion over the earth. They did this through marriage for the part of being fruitful and filling the earth and also by work in their work of tending and guarding the Garden of Eden. We were created and commanded by God to work in the Garden of Eden and that command carries over to us today as well. But what about the curse? We don't live in the Garden of Eden. The curse added difficulty and futility to our work. Basically, the world fights back. And we've seen this. You don't need me to explain it to you. How many times do you have to vacuum your house? How many times do you have to dust? If I dust today, am I done for the rest of my life? That would be nice. Or my kids would think it would be nice. I haven't dusted in 25 years. No, just kidding. But but we all know that regardless of what our work is, whether we work in a house as a housewife, whether we work in a business or a corporation, whether we are out digging ditches for a living, and we'll talk about that here soon. It's got to be done again, does it not? All of us. All of us mumble under our breath. Many of us mumble out loud whenever we pass the road, the the state road cleaning out ditches every summer. Do we not? Every fall. Work is futile. Nature fights back. The weeds grow up in all of our endeavors and we feel like our work is sometimes a colossal exercise in futility. But work is something created by God for us to do for his glory and for his honor. David Murray puts it this way, quote, work is the place God has called us to serve him from the heart with excellence for the benefits of others and to please him. I want to focus on the last two phrases of that work is for the benefits of others And to please God. 
What's a different way to say that work is a way to please God? Work is a way to love God. How are we called to love God? We're called to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And that means that with everything that we have, including our work, we are to do it in such a way that it shows our love for Him. But it also shows our love for neighbor. Because our work is to benefit other people. It's hard for us to see sometimes the different jobs that we have these days. But do you understand that God has given your work as a benefit to other people? You may not see the usage of the end product that you produce. You may not see the ultimate fruit of your labor, but that work is designed by God to benefit somebody else. Think about what you do in life. Wherever you are, from student to retiree and every spot in between, housewife to corporate executive, think about how what you do benefits other people. Like I said, for some of us, it's it's more readily evident. We work in jobs, we work in vocations where we can see the benefits that other people get from our work. But think about how whatever you make, whatever you do is used at the end of its of its product life. And consider how it is a benefit to others. But one other thing we need to consider about work, since it is a matter of loving God and loving neighbor, work is also a gospel issue. It shows the state of your heart. How you view work, if you and you should view work as a means to love God and love neighbor, if you fulfill that or if you don't, it shows the need in your life for the gospel. John MacArthur pointed out that Jesus' public ministry only took up about three years of his life. What did he do with for the first 30 years? He lived in mom and dad's basement playing Well, he couldn't play video games. It was the first century. No, he worked more than likely as a carpenter or actually more likely in the language as a furniture maker. Jesus had to work. And where you and I fail to love God and to love neighbor in our work, Jesus has succeeded and we have his righteousness as we embrace him by faith. And God sees our work as loving to him and loving to neighbor because of Jesus and his perfect and his righteous work. You realize that whatever you do is a calling. The word vocation that we use comes from the Latin to be called. Everything you do. Every work that you have is your calling from God to love him and to love neighbor. And keeping this proper view of work will help us to avoid the sins of work avoidance and work idolatry. So now that we have this idea of work, let's look at Solomon's call to the to the sluggard first to go to the ant. These first three verses, verses six through eight, are Solomon's plea to the sluggard to wake up and to reconsider. He opens up with that command, go. It's in a place of emphasis in this in the sentence, not only in the English, but in the original language. It's the first word. 
which in that original language, if it was the first word in the sentence, it means it held preeminence. It was the emphasis of the sentence. He says, go to the ant. And then the second line, he says, consider the ways of the ant. Consider is a word that means to watch, learn and apply what you learn. Solomon is calling to the sluggard to wake up from his laziness and go learn something that will protect him from financial ruin. So what can the sluggard learn from the ant? Well, the ant takes initiative and is and is self-motivated. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. In Ephesians, Paul says this, that that the slave or in our in our culture, it would be the employer, the employee, excuse me, is to work as though he is working for God and not for man. Don't just work when you're being watched. Don't just work when you're being managed. Take the initiative, get up without somebody telling you to do something. And work to show your love for God and love for neighbor. That's difficult in our world today, isn't it? I think in many of our workplaces, it is it is marked more by work avoidance than work idolatry. And nobody likes the person who sticks out because he's doing a good job. But we are called to take initiative, to be self-motivated and work as though we are working for God rather than men. The ant takes advantage of the time that it is given. It stores up its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Many commentators believe that Solomon would be talking about the, the harvest ant, which is very common in Palestine. It actually does gather seeds during the harvest. And the harvest in Palestine, excuse me, typically began sometime in April as the wheat harvest came in and went for about two, maybe two and a half months as the barley harvest followed the wheat harvest. And so during that time, as the workers are out harvesting the grain, the seeds would drop to the ground and the ants would come along and gather up some of these seeds and put them in the ant nest, the ant bed, and store them up for the rest of the year so that they would have something to eat. Well, not only did the ant need to store things up for the rest of the year, but so did humanity. If you've only got a two and a half month window to when you can harvest your grain and it starts in April, May, June, half of July, doesn't do you any good to start harvesting in August, does it? That's actually the time to plow and plant so that you can be ready for April. But the ant takes advantage of the time that God has given it. How do we say that in our culture today? You better be out there making hay while the sun's shining, right? When God gives us time to work, when God gives us the opportunity to work, we should embrace it. And thirdly, what the sluggard should learn is that the ant has a mind for the future. He's gathering his future needs. We don't have to do that much in our world, do we? Because we can just go to Kroger or to Walmart or to Crawford's or wherever it is. And we can buy our groceries. Or at least we think we could until recently. But we should store up things while the sun's shining. Now, please hear me. I'm not telling you to go out and buy all the toilet paper right now immediately after church. OK, probably not the smartest thing to do. But when we work in the time that God has given us, are we thinking toward the future? Or are we only thinking of today? Are we only thinking of the immediate moment? 
So Solomon tells the sluggard, go to the ant, learn about initiative and self-control, learn to take advantage of the time God has given you, learn to think for the future and put those things into action. It does us no good if we just learn information and sit on our sit on our hands. We need to put that information to work. And then he warns the sluggard. He says, now, if, if let's say you choose to not go. To not learn what's going to happen to you. And, and he, he he starts out with a rhetorical question that actually takes the sluggard's um, excuses away. He says, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? I remember my mom used to come in when I was in, in my teen years and uh, probably even early preteen years. And the process would start about an hour and a half before I actually had to get out the door to get to school on time. And I used to do the same thing with snooze alarm for a long, long time, too. There was this process of it. You know, she'd come in and wake me up and she'd come in another 10 minutes later and wake me up again. And she'd come in another 10 minutes later. And, and usually somewhere in that process would be the question, how long are you going to lie there? You need to get up and get ready for school. That's what Solomon's saying here. How much longer are you going to lie there in bed? It's harvest time. And the sluggard gives these excuses. You know, same thing I gave to my mom. Just let me sleep a few more minutes. Just a couple more minutes. But just like my mom, Solomon knew that was a lie. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Just a couple more minutes. But Solomon knows that the sluggard is just going to lay there as long as he possibly can. And so he follows that up with a warning. Poverty will come upon you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. You will be surprised, Solomon says, by the the swiftness, the quickness and the violence that poverty hits you if you're a lazy man. For the sluggard, if he doesn't get up in time to harvest, this poverty will be a complete and utter destitution that could lead to his starvation. The warning is there for the sluggard. The disaster is coming now from our perspective. We look at the sluggard and we're like, you know what? You've it doesn't come upon you quickly because we've watched you sleep for the last two and a half months during harvest time. Um, We've watched this process unfold. But for the sluggard, he's been asleep for two and a half months. He's not going to see it coming. But Solomon warns him and says, look, this is coming upon you. And if you're not careful, disaster, horrible disaster will come upon you. How many of us have those excuses? That we use over and over again, it may literally be, look, just mom, give me five more minutes of sleep. It may be, you know what, I just need to take a little bit of rest. I've been working too hard all day. Rest is part of our work, by the way. We are commanded to work six days and rest one. But how many of us rest way too much? How many of us are prone to this work avoidance of the sluggard? Solomon calls us to wake up and beware. Martin Luther says the milkmaid and the manure handler have the noblest of vocations. For they are doing God's work in the world. How do you view your work? Is it just something to do to get you through till retirement? 
Is it your sense of completion? Is it your your idol? Or is work an opportunity for you to show your love to God and your love to neighbor? I get asked every now and then, how do I share the gospel with my fellow workers? Work well. Work as though you work for the Lord and not for men. Students, you may not have a job, but right now your vocation is to be a student. Show your love for God and your love for your neighbor by being a student as unto God and not just to get a grade so you can get to the next step in your life. Retirees. I think the American view of retirement may be wrong. We don't just retire to sit down and watch TV all the time. And I know many of you don't. Your work just changes. Your vocation as a retiree just changes the focus of your work. Maybe you can work and volunteer in areas that you always wanted to, but you never have the time. But we still work. And the glory of work is that more than likely it will continue for us into the new heavens and the new earth. We do not await a day, more than likely, where work is taken from us. We await a day where the futility and the difficulty of work is taken from us. And we work fully and completely for the love of God and the benefits of our brothers and sisters in Christ who will spend eternity with us. It will be part of that eternal worship. So how do you view work? Let us pray. Our God and Father above, lead us to be busy and not busy bodies. Lead us away from idolizing work. Lead us away from avoiding work. And lead us towards seeing work as something that shows our love for you and our love for our neighbor. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we wrap up today, our final hymn is hymn number 297, Work for the Night is Coming. So let us stand and lift our voices and profess together the fact that we are called to work while God has given us the time. So let us stand and sing hymn number 297, Work for the Night is Coming.
as you go this week, we do walk the road with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as you go this week, take this blessing upon you. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Grace be to you. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And we do pray with John. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thank you.